You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 11. We're going to start there and read some verses out of there. And, um, next, of course, next, next Tuesday, 7 o'clock, is our communion service. And I, I thought it would be a good idea to discuss it before that service. And I did this actually last year as well. And you might remember and say, well, you're doing it again. And, and, but the longer I pastor, the less guilty I feel about those kind of messages. Uh, because I don't know about you, but I can hear a message a month ago and hear it again in a month's time. And it's like, oh, I didn't hear that last time. And, and if you look at the New Testament, there's a lot of, of commands or challenges to call something to remembrance, meaning that not everything that you hear is new. Actually, for most of us, if we've been saved for any length of time, most of what we hear is not new. Most of what we hear is a reminder. And, uh, and so my father-in-law says it's okay to eat leftovers sometimes. And uh, now you don't want to make every meal a leftover, um, but it's also, though, not a bad thing to reheat something if it was good the first time. You know how that goes. Um, and I don't view this as leftover. You know, the word of God is not a leftover. You know what I'm talking about. Sometimes, though, it's good for us just to revisit truth. And tonight, that's what we're going to be doing. And uh, so 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and, and actually... Uh, just to save a little bit of time tonight, we'll, we won't read the text right now. We'll, we'll get into it here in a little bit. Um, the Lord's Supper is referred to in Scripture, in scripture as communion at times in 1 Corinthians 10, 16. Look at that. It says, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? It's also called the Lord's table. Look down in 1 Corinthians 10, 21. Since we're here, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Uh, some pretty hard language there from Paul to the church at Corinth. Look at chapter 11, verse 20. Um, it's also called the Lord's Supper here. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. And so they all mean the same thing. They're all referring, um, I'll re- likely refer to the Lord's Supper. Um, and, and yet if I say communion or I say Lord's table, then I think we all know what it means. And it's one of the two ordinances. You've got baptism and the Lord's Supper. And an ordinance is something that is, to, is meant to keep us in memory or causes us to look to something significant. And God's people are to observe the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper as pictures of the gospel. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, what is the gospel? Give me the three pieces of the gospel. Go. Death, burial, and resurrection. Everyone say it together. Ready? Death, burial, resurrection. That's the gospel in a nutshell. And baptism is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Lord's Supper as an ordinance also looks back very specifically to especially the death of Jesus Christ. And they are pictures of the gospel. Both ordinances are also pictures of what happens in a believer's life, both at salvation and then afterward is a fellowship with the Lord. And we'll talk about this. But baptism is a picture of what happens at the beginning of a, of a new believer's life at salvation. Um, it is at salvation you get saved. Baptism is a picture of that. 
Lord's Supper as an ordinance is a picture of the fellowship that you have with God as then you go along in your Christian life. So these two ordinances are both a picture of the gospel, but also a picture of the Christian life. And, and uh, scriptural, so therefore then, scriptural baptism is observed only once by each Christian because you're only saved one time. But the Lord's Supper is to be observed throughout our lives uh, as a sign of our ongoing fellowship with Christ and his church. And tonight I, I intend to look at three questions about the Lord's Supper. And that is these. What are the proper elements of the Lord's Supper? Uh, what is the meaning of the Lord's Supper? And who should participate in the Lord's Supper? So um, keep your place here in 1 Corinthians 11. And like I said, we'll get back to it. Turn over to Matthew chapter 26 is where we'll start. We're going to start with the elements of the Supper. And if this feels more like a lesson in some ways, it kind of is. Um, and that's okay. It's okay to just learn, and, and yet I'll apply it in a way that you will still hopefully then call it preaching by the end of the sermon here. Matthew chapter 26, it says in verse 26, um, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. This is the Last Supper, as many of us know, the Last Supper right before the death of Jesus Christ. And, and it, this serves as something of a template for the Lord's Supper in the New Testament church. And we know it's a template because in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul actually quotes what Jesus says right here as a template for um, observing the Lord's Supper. And there are two elements mentioned here. There's the bread that Jesus broke and distributed and what is then simply called the cup right here. Um, the bread symbolizes Christ's body as he died on the cross. And the cup, or grape juice, represents the blood that he shed to pay for our sins. In a nutshell, that's what those things mean. The fruit of the vine is unfermented grape juice. And I'll say that unapologetically. Um, notice in verse 29 that Jesus actually refers to it as the fruit of the vine. And the word is fruit, not wine. So just understand that this is fruit juice, grape juice, and pure grape juice, by the way. There's no intoxicating drink indicated here, and there's no indication in any of the gospel accounts that they were drinking intoxicating wine. Um, to further make that point as well, we know that Christ was sinless, and to engage in drinking fermented wine or strong drink would be to ignore many other biblical commands of wisdom, which he would not do. And so uh, just be careful of buying into those that say that, you know, the social drinking is okay or alcohol is okay on some level. Um, even if we were to be able to justify that from scriptural that a little bit is okay, we can at least, at the very least, say it's unwise. And that would be enough reason to stay away from it altogether. So the cup contained grape juice, but it was not strong drink. It was an intoxicating beverage. Um, and I, I, it would be, uh, it would, they would use non-alcoholic grape juice because that reflects what Jesus used, which he called the fruit of the vine. 
And the other elements that the other element that is part of the Lord's Supper here is the bread. And we 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 can look at the other accounts. Um, and we would uh, know that it's unleavened bread as a picture of Christ's body. And even though the New Testament doesn't use the term unleavened to return or to refer to the bread of the Lord's Supper, then we, but we can know for certain it was the bread that Jesus was using because in Luke chapter 22, it talks about how Jesus Christ instituted this supper during the Passover. And when Jesus met his, with his disciples, it was on the day of unleavened bread. And the Bible says that Mark 14 tells us it was the first day of unleavened bread. Um, and so it's pretty obvious if you do deductive reasoning that the bread that they were using during the Lord's Supper was unleavened. Um, and Exodus chapter 12 gives guidance for the day, uh, the first day of unleavened bread. He said, it says, seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread. Even the first day ye shall put away leaven um, out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. So we, it's, very, it's a very safe assumption to know this is unleavened bread. God's law clearly forbid eating of leavened bread during this time. And leaven in scripture pictures sin and corruption. And, uh, and so it would not have been used during the Passover. Okay, That one's a pretty cut and dry. And since Jesus then, um, they, since they were to, told to remove leaven in their houses, then we know that he would have submitted to that. So... Um, we, those are, that one is a little bit simpler. But as a side note, this provides insight then into the timing of the Lord's Supper. And now there's no hard, fast rule that is stating how often it should be observed. And, and I know there are a lot of different opinions, but the fact that Christ did it the week that he died presents a compelling argument or a compelling pattern for the reason that I would practice it the way that we do. We'll talk about that more. Um, the first church observed it the, the week leading up to the Resurrection Sunday. Um, but each church and pastor will decide how often to do that. And I, I know, again, there will be differing opinions about how often it's done, but the only real pattern, scripturally speaking, that we have is that it was done the week leading up to Resurrection Sunday. And so that's why we are following that pattern by doing it next week. And there may be good reason to do it more, um, but most of that would be personal preference. And we have to be careful not to judge someone else for doing it more or doing it less. And I, I see good reasons to do it more, but I also want to protect it so that we stay away from one of the New Testament problems of it becoming too commonplace. Which that is a very real problem, that you do it so much that it, be, that it loses some of its meaning. And I believe it's a balance, and we'll keep trying to strike that balance. So the two elements of the Lord's Supper, the, this is pretty straightforward, unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine. Uh, the second uh, question is, what is the meaning of the Lord's Supper? Um, well, I'll start with what the Lord's Supper is not. It is not the Baptist equivalent of Mass. It's not the Baptist equivalent of the Eucharist or Holy Communion or Sacrament. Uh, those are generally Catholic terms used to describe the ritual that they say aids in salvation. But we don't believe that that's the function of the Lord's Supper. Um, it, it is not a, it's not transubstantiation, which that's a long word that basically ba it's a belief that in a nutshell, upon the pronouncement of the priest, the bread, they would say that the bread and the wine literally and actually change in substance to become the literal real flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. 
And, and I don't believe that that teaching is scriptural. And uh, maybe you were raised in, in to believe that or you were raised thinking that. And, and so I'm not up here condescendingly saying that your position is wrong. I just know that from scripture that Jesus was speaking metaphorically, not literally. Uh, we know that, that because, number one, he is bodily in heaven. And so because he's in heaven, then we don't believe that physically his body would be in two different places at once. Um, although he could do that, but, but he's in heaven. Um, another reason we believe it's unscriptural is that eating uh, literal blood is forbidden by the Old Testament law. Uh, another, and Leviticus 17.10 states that. Another reason that we believe it wouldn't be scriptural is that Christ's sacrifice was once and for all, and it is not to be repeated. And so it, to eat the, the blood and the flesh, if you really believe it turns into it uh, as you take it, that would be like saying that he was sacrificing himself again. And yet again, Hebrews chapter 10 said that he was offered once for all. And by the way, Christ is the creator, and to assume that something as elemental as bread and juice can create the creator um, seems completely backwards. He cannot be created. He is creator. And that seems like a lot of power to give to somebody um, who's simply partaking of the Lord's Supper. Uh, it's also not consubstantiation, which would be more um, perhaps of the Lutheran view, and it modifies the thought of transubstantiation and states that even though the elements are not changed, the real body and blood of Christ are mystically present. And so uh, then they are both eaten uh, during that. And so many of you would understand if you come from that background um, that it's very similar and although not quite the same as the traditional Catholic view. It is also not the Christian Passover, which uh, would be more of a, a covenant theology. And when I say covenant theology, I mean that uh, covenant theology equates Israel and the church and says that the two are the same, that we just simply replaced Israel um, and, and through things like circumcision and baptism and the Passover and the Lord's Supper, it just kind of you know, all comes right to us because we are the new Israel. I know many good men um, who follow the pattern of doing the Lord's Supper once a year before Easter. And I like the idea, which is uh, why I, I feel led to do that. But they aren't doing that to say that the Lord's Supper is the Passover for the church. Um, the, they're following more the pattern of the first Lord's Supper as a pattern. Because, and the reason that we don't believe it's the Passover is because 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says that Jesus Christ himself is our Passover. Um, we don't celebrate the Passover because Christ did away with it and with the need for it. And so we don't celebrate the Passover anymore. Um, it's also, uh, the Lord's Supper is also not a sacrament. Some would say that communion is a means of receiving grace. And we don't believe that. But the Bible says, for by grace are ye saved through what? Through faith. It's not through something that you eat or partake of, and we just believe that. We also believe it's not just a potluck or fellowship. We had a fellowship potluck on Sunday night, and uh, early churches would practice love feasts, which were church-wide meals, but they were not uh, observances of the Lord's Supper. Uh, Paul rebuked the church at Corinth, actually, in 1 Corinthians 11, which we'll read some of that, for turning the Lord's Supper into a regular meal. And coming together just like it was a potluck when it should have been a, a, a solemn observance of the ordinance. Communion is a sign of our relationship with God through Christ. It is not a means to achieve that relationship. 
It is a sign of our relationship with God through Christ. It's not going to help us achieve that relationship. It is a symbol of who we are in Christ. It's not a way to be in Christ. And we observe the supper in commemoration of what Christ did for us. And as Jesus told his disciples in Luke 22, this do in remembrance of me, he says. So turn over to 1 Corinthians 11 and we'll, and we'll look at some verses here. I'll start reading in verse 17 just to kind of give you the context. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. He says, Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not that ye come together not for the better but for the worst. Uh, for the worst. For first of all, when ye come together in the church. Now, I want to point that phrase out um, because, because the Apostle Paul is writing to a local church. He's writing to a church that assembles and comes together. And, and that is the context of 1 Corinthians 11. So understand, you can't come together um, if you're all spread all over the world. Um, this is, so this is obviously, he's writing to a church in Corinth. And, and he's talking about when they come together and they have the Lord's Supper, that it's not for the better, it's for the worse. He says, verse 18, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must, all, there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you when ye come together. There's the phrase again, therefore, into one place. This is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper. And one is hungry, and another is drunken. What, have ye not houses to eat and drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? He says, I praise you not. And then look what he says here, that he's, this Lord's Supper is meant to be a memorial. Verse 23, for I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. So understand that Paul is saying when we meet to observe the Lord's Supper, it is a memorial. It is a remembrance of the death of Jesus Christ. It is like taking a close look at the cross and thinking once again about the death and about the details. The broken bread is a picture recognizing his broken body. The fruit of the vine is a symbol of the blood that he shed on the cross. It is also, though, an anticipation reminding us that Christ is coming again. He says, ye do show the Lord's death till you come. So it is something that we are to observe until Jesus Christ returns. And at that point, we'll be with the literal body of Jesus Christ. And there will be no longer a reason for us to have pictures of it. We'll get to, we can stand right next to him. I'm excited about that. The purpose of the Lord's Supper is to show the Lord's death. That's why we do it. And each time that we observe the Lord's Supper, our minds must be centered on the death of Jesus Christ. We show his death till he comes. And we must approach then, that is why I believe that we would approach then the Lord's Supper with a very solemn spirit 
and remembering, I mean rejoicing quietly in what Jesus Christ has done for us by taking our place and bearing our sins and taking our judgment so that we can be forgiven and accepted by God. It is a sober occasion. And one more thing to consider is that if our participation in the Lord's Supper is a symbol of Christ's death, then our condition when we partake should also reflect his death. And you say, well, what does that mean? Well, in other words, we should receive the Lord's Supper dying to ourselves and cleansed from sin. If the elements picture Christ's sinlessness and we come in together and none of us have confessed our sin, none of us have taken the time to be pure and right before God, then we come to the Lord's table unworthily. And that is an important reminder. We'll talk about that a little bit more as we close. That leads to the last section tonight, and that is the participants. Who are the participants of the Lord's Supper? Well, first, participants should be those that are saved and scripturally baptized and in right standing with their local church. And uh, Paul reprimanded the church at Corinth for two things. We just read these verses 17 through 22. Number one, they weren't unified in their gathering. The Lord's Supper requires a spirit of unity in a church. And it goes against the spirit of the occasion for God's people to come together selfishly or carnally. So it would go completely against the spirit of the Lord's Supper if you and you got in a fight in the parking lot and then walked in and took the Lord's Supper. Now, I hope that would never happen, but I think we all know human nature would tell us that it's very possible for two people to be at odds in a local church. And so for those two people then to not make that right before they come in and are partaking of, of, of the Lord's Supper, that would be to take it selfishly and carnally and therefore to take it unworthily. So, it, you know, we know that Christ died so we wouldn't be carnal. So why then would we celebrate his death while being carnal? Paul also reprimanded them for using the occasion of the Lord's Supper to engage in a party-like fellowship. Uh, now, I'm all for fellowship. I'm all for having fun. Uh, we had a good time on Sunday night. Uh, it was, a, it was a, just an enjoyable time. Uh, but they were just getting together to eat instead of focusing on the Lord's death. And he, so he recaps that in verses 23 through 26. And we read it already, but he recaps it. And, and, and the pattern is laid, he gives the pattern laid forth for the Lord's table. And it, it's not just a party. It's not just a time to come together and have a lot of fun. Look at verse 27. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. That sounds serious. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. To take the Lord's Supper with an open and unconfessed or unrepentant sin is to completely miss the point. And it's saying, let's, it's like saying, let's honor Christ's sacrifice for our sin while being full of sin and not worried or concerned about getting it right at all. And he says we should examine ourselves or we risk judgment, we risk weakness, we risk sickness. That's what he says. And there were even those that had died because of their attitude toward the Lord's Supper. And so let me just say tonight, this is very serious stuff. 
Now, when we take communion, we are saying Christ's sacrifice has made forgiveness of sins possible. So we should come to the table with sins forgiven. We should come with sins confessed. That's why Paul told the church at Corinth in chapter 5 to purge out the old leaven of those who were living in sin and not eat with them. Meaning, if there were those with open and unconfessed sin and unrepentant spirits about their sin, they shouldn't engage in the Lord's Supper with them. And there's accountability in communion. And it's serious to take it unworthily. And those truths are the reason then that we would practice the Lord's table or the Lord's Supper as a, a local church ordinance. Now, I know that not everyone holds this position and plenty of men I love and respect and fellowship with don't have that same practice. And to that I say, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Um, there's, there, my reason for limiting it to a local church membership is that it seems, in my opinion, to be the safest position, not even just because of the context of 1 Corinthians is to a local church. When ye come together, it seems like very clear to me that there was, uh, it was a local church because of coming together. So the first Lord's Supper was conducted by the Lord with the members of that first church. The instruction in 1 Corinthians was given to a local church. And Paul was assuming the Lord's Supper was being observed when ye come together. And by the way, one other thing to consider that seems clear to me. Since Paul said, when ye come together, that means that the Lord's Supper is to be observed in a church setting. But it's, so in other words, it's not a family ordinance. And it's not a Sunday school class ordinance um, the choir wouldn't get together and have their own communion service, and the, or the college and career class wouldn't get together and have their communion service. Um, the concept is of a church ordinance, which is why we try to have everyone in here together. But the point is this, that there should be a level of accountability. In 1 Corinthians 5, the church was responsible for removing members from fellowship if they had open, unrepentant sin. And that really leads to the biggest reason why we would be what most people call closed communion. And remember, the two ordinances are baptism and the Lord's Supper. Baptism is the ordinance of a relationship with Christ and his church. If you've been saved, baptism pictures that relationship and identifies you both with Christ and that local church. Communion is about fellowship, meaning it implies that our fellowship with Christ and our church are in good standing. And because 1 Corinthians 11 then teaches that someone must be in good standing with their local church in order to take the Lord's Supper, it seems to me then that it should be then observed in a local church setting. And others would be maybe close communion and that they would allow members of other independent Baptist churches of like faith to partake and that's a decision up to each pastor. And like I said, I would never tell someone else they're doing wrong if they're doing that in their conscience before the Lord. That's, you know, everyone lands in different places. And since the Bible gives us room um, in our conscience to decide, to be fully persuaded wherever you land, then, then I let them land where they're going to land because I don't have to answer for them and they don't have to answer for me before the Lord someday. So some would be close, that's a decision up to them. Others would be open communion, uh, which means that they would open it up to anyone who is saved and desires to take it. And to me, that's a much more difficult position to defend um, or be accountable to, in my opinion. 
um, an ordinance implies a unity of doctrine. And in the same way that baptism identifies with doctrine, so does the Lord's Supper. It identifies with a unity of doctrine. And if Paul gives warning uh, about those being in open sin, coming to the Lord's table, then having no check at all in terms of salvation or baptism or a doctrinal position or a standing of fellowship, that seems a difficult position to defend in my opinion. But again, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. And whatever a church's position is on the Lord's Supper, understand this. To partake in the Lord's Supper, each member must be in proper fellowship, number one, with the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. There is a personal purity required if you are going to partake in the Lord's Supper. So you must be in proper fellowship with the Lord. You must be proper, in proper fellowship, number two, with their church. There should be unity with the church family. We've already read about that. And you should also then, just in general, be in, in proper fellowship one with another. 1 Corinthians eleven three. I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. And it goes on. I'm not going to get into all that. If it's a matter of being in good standing of fellowship... My question tonight is, are you? Are you in good standing of fellowship with the Lord, with this church, and with one another? The illustration I like to use is this. The question is this. Are you supper ready? And, And I used the illustration last time, but it just illustrates it so well. You know, kids, when they're playing outside, um, when kids used to play outside... You know, um, kids come in from outside for a meal. What's the first thing mama asks? Did you wash your hands, right? Did you, why did you punch him? Okay, that's number two, right? In the same way then, if that's the first question that gets asked, when you're coming in for supper, then my question to you tonight is, are you ready? Are you supper ready? I mean, a cleansing should be, should take place. Before you come in for supper. And Paul's warnings of 1 Corinthians 11 are meant to remind us of how sober we should be in approaching the Lord's Supper. His purpose was not to keep members out. And sometimes I think we get that rap that we're just trying to keep everybody out. No, Um, it, it was meant to have a purifying effect. Paul didn't give these requirements or or give these challenges to keep people out. He was trying to get people to get right. And it should cause us to ask, if communion is coming, am I ready? Am I supper ready? Are you supper ready? I mean, next Tuesday, are you in proper fellowship with the Lord? Are your sins unconfessed? I mean, is there, if there's there something not right in your heart, how personally pure are you? Because the Bible, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the challenge is this, either get things right or consider not taking That's how serious a matter this is. So are you in proper fellowship with the Lord? Are you in proper fellowship with your church? Is there something between you and another member? Something that you're allowing to linger and fester? Is there a root of bitterness? Is there unforgiveness? If you don't make it right, don't partake in the Lord's Supper is essentially Paul's message here. Um, and, And you say, well, pastor, is that what you want? Do you not want us to participate? Well, no. Obviously, my desire is that we make these things right before Tuesday. 
and that we come in supper ready. But if you read what Paul said, then you would be motivated to clean up before supper because the consequences of eating improperly are severe. I mean, supper ready means that you take it seriously. That's, it won't be a time of fun and fellowship. The church at Corinth wasn't taking it seriously, and it cost them. And so here are the things that we ask um, as we lead up to this service, is that I'm going to ask that you don't come until about 6.45. The doors of the sanctuary will open around 6.50. And when you come into the building, I'm going to ask then that you don't fellowship with other people. And I know that's going to seem awkward. And many of you that were here last year, you probably observed this. It's a little awkward not to come in and fellowship. But our purpose is not just to fellowship with each other. Our purpose is to come and be completely focused on the Lord. Um, and so we'll open the doors around 6.50. And, and what I'm going to ask is just for practicality's sake, um, do the unbaptist thing and fill up the middle and the front first. Um, because we'll be passing out the elements, and as we do that, it would be a lot easier if everyone is located together rather than spread out. So come in the main doors and fill up the front and the middle, and as you come in, just have a sober time. It'll be a solemn time of reflection on the Lord's death. And we'll take some time to sing hymns, we'll read scripture, and we'll focus on his death. And when we're finished, we'll dismiss you the same way. You'll simply leave the building, you'll go to your cars, you'll leave the property... And you'll say, that's really different. And it, it is. But let me ask you this. What would have been the feeling if we had been sitting at the foot of the cross watching Jesus die? And if we had been sitting there and we're watching, literally watching him take his final breaths. We wouldn't have brought a picnic basket. We wouldn't be joking. We wouldn't be showing each other um, some uh, funny stuff on our phones. We would be sitting there and very solemnly trying to wrap our minds around what's happening and soberly watching him on the cross. It would be a sober occasion. So my challenge to you is to come supper ready. This occasion deserves that kind of preparation. My challenge to you is also to come personally pure with your sins confessed, being right with others, being right with your church family, right with the Lord, and being serious-minded. Because the more supper-ready we come, the more special and scriptural it will be, and we want it to be. So are you supper-ready? Do you have something to make right with God? Do you have something to make right with others? Are you taking the upcoming Lord's Supper seriously? And finally, my challenge to you then too is just because of the way that we practice it as a local church ordinance, if you've been attending and you'd like to join Eastside or you'd like to get scripturally baptized, um, it, maybe it'd be time to do that. And sometimes these, these events um, kind of spur some that have been maybe waiting and thinking, well, I'll do it at this time, I'll do it later. Uh, visit with me about it. We can take care of that because I believe we've got some that would probably like to be involved in this service, but it may be time for you um, and your family to say, you know what, it's time for us to commit uh, to become a part of Eastside Baptist Church. And I'd love to visit with you about that if you'd like to, but, but my main challenge to you today is this, to be supper ready. Come supper ready. And by the way, don't wait till the last minute, you know, 6.30, you're like, I'm saving up all my sins. And I'm going to confess all of them at the last minute so I make sure I don't miss one. No, I would, I would recommend to you, and this is always a good practice, to keep a short account with God. 
And then at not, not just wait to the last minute or like some people on their deathbed, they finally just call out and, and they get things right. Well, I would just recommend to make it habit in your life of not letting sins linger. But as, as soon as a sin is committed, that you stop even right where you're at. And you confess that before the Lord. And let's clear that out. And let's make sure we're pure. This is a, to have a purifying effect. So that we can truly focus on the Lord. And not take of the Lord's Supper unworthily next week. Thank you for your attention tonight. And willingness to hear that. Let's stand together. We'll have a verse of invitation. And again the question is. Are you supper ready? And if you're not. Maybe there are some things that we need to get right. Both with the Lord. And also with each other before next week. Let's pray. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.